get it. Ooh, yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And Michael Keaton Month is over. Hope you've enjoyed it. You can find all the stuff we did for Michael Keaton Month at podmeifyoucan.com. But with the end of Michael Keaton Month comes the beginning of more podcasts. So today, Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, Just a heads up, we'll probably be doing spoilers here for the book and film series. Uh, If you haven't read or watched the film, I advise, you know, we're going to ruin it. (laughs) Lloyd, uh, you were not keen on watching Fifty Shades, were you? <laughs> I just want to give a, qu- a quick shout out to my friend Claire, who I watched this movie with at Grady Union in Monica, Canberra. Uh, Claire had read all three of the books and was secretly looking forward to it. <laughs> and this is interesting. She's going to kill me. <laughs> look, I read all the books. Really? I it with, oh, I read them all. And w- I watched it with my wife, who'd also read the books. It was more of a curiosity thing. I didn't really enjoy the writing or anything like that. And when I knew there was a film, I was like, okay, great. We will have to do this because I've spent all this time, wasted all this time reading these books. This will be what comes from it. I've got to ask, why did you read um, the books? What, what got you into it? Well, at, at the beginning, I was like, oh, there's this like phenomenon, this bestseller that everybody's reading and everybody's into. And then I started reading it and I was like, oh, this isn't very good. And then it sort of became this horrible, laughable addiction um, <laughs> in terms of what, what happened was the situation was Jade, my daughter, was born. Uh, she was three or four months old. We had this kind of we're stuck at home with a baby kind of thing going on. And pretty much what we did was we passed the book back and forth and read it out loud. And it's even worse out loud, Lloyd. <laughs> when you're reading this thing. Like, I would do a chapter or a few pages or whatever. We read it on the Kindle. We'd pass it back and forth and just mock this book. And so it was kind of a fun activity for us to do. <laughs> and, like, that's sort of just where it came from. Did like you read, read all three out loud to each other or just we the did. first one? All we three? Did. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. All three, which uh, i got to tell you is quite a commitment. Props to Tess for <laughs> bothering. But we read it over quite a long time. This was three years ago. You know, my daughter's three and a half now. Um, I've sort of pieced together some of it in my memory of what was memorable, but it's very repetitive to read it. And we kept sort of the the writing style is like so um, continuously the same that you're reading it out loud and we're pausing to say, oh, my God, this is boring. Oh, this again. Oh, she's doing that again. Like it just becomes like a bit of a gag. Anyway, we read lots of books out loud. We read uh, Never Let Me Go. We've read many titles out loud like this this is actually something my wife and i will do reading back and forth and passing a book back and forth and and you find it just kind of takes away from having to read it by yourself and then explain it to your partner i read the time traveler's wife for example and the book's much better than the film in case you're wondering and uh, then tess read it afterwards and i was like oh what bit you up to you know and it just sort of sort of in killed the enjoyment a little bit i suppose just as an activity i don't want to go on about it but um from what i got from uh, this book written by el james uh it's an erotic trashy novel that just hit a chord with a large audience and i think mainly stay-at-home mums uh got into it and i think brilliant marketing um and just it just came out at the right time with the keys to its monumental success 
Um, I think it became a pop culture thing. Let's be honest, because it was like Angry Birds. Everybody would mention it in sitcoms and on talk shows. And like we get half of our, you know, uh, pop and Intel and whatever from America. And if America's into something, we find out about it. You know, these things happen. We're sort of saturated by what they're saturated by um, content wise. Uh, TV reflects that as well. We get so many American shows. And I mean, look, the Kindle was sort of picking up as well. So for people to be able to read something on a train or a bus and no one knows what you're reading, you know, you can get away with reading erotica. This was sort of one of the, you know, top selling books. Like for so long, it was hard to avoid. As as far as trashy novels go, I, I haven't read any erotic trashy novels, but I, from what I hear from reviews, it's not a very well written story. So I was no. just I was just wondering how, like, for something so poorly written, how did it just hit a chord? I think right timing and. Uh, one this movie's fundamentally about a man with a very elaborate uh, sexual appetite, and I don't think there are many movies in the mainstream that address this. Like, uh, everyone has varying degrees of sexuality. Like, you know, there's a famous line: the borderline between insane and sanity is very, very small when it comes to sex. And I think uh, we should talk more about that, or be confronted more about that. And Fifty Shades of Grey had all these promising ideas, but I don't think they were willing to go down. In fact, I think because of the monumental success of the book series, this movie was box office Teflon. Like, Dave, if you and I invested in this movie, we're more than guaranteed to actually get our money back, you know, Um, because it has such a huge fan base. But I think the producers knew that the film was going to be a success and didn't want to take any risks. They just put two attractive people, got a director in to just say action, um, cut, and put, you know, enough sex scenes and, you know, they got what they got the right product in the end, you know, so I can't fault it from a business angle. I'm not going to lie to you. This whole thing seems really wrong that everyone's seeing it. Um, we're actually adding more fuel to the fire by doing this podcast and I realise that. How is it wrong? If it's, it's rubbish and <laughs> it does seem slapped together. Like, if you look at the director... Um, female director she has done one feature film a series of short films they offered it to Angelina Jolie and she said no they clearly wanted a female director and yeah I like that how it was all the whole thing was a female you know um, the person who wrote the novel was female the writer of the script was female Kelly Marcel and the director was female Samuel Sam Taylor Johnson I think that was all great choices um, but I think the producers in there were ordering all of them to play it safe keep it by the numbers we're just here to cash in so there isn't really anything in this other than sex two attractive people um, I actually only think there's actually only one really cool sex scene in the whole movie um, I think it's done to the song Earned It. I'm not too sure. I, I, I wasn't sure, but I thought, oh, that, that's a pretty cool sex scene. <laughs> um, was, it, but, was it the first one with the mirror on the scene? No, no, not that one. It was uh, when they went into the room the first time. Is it called The Room in the book as well? <laughs> it's called The Red Room of Pain, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, when the, I think it's the first sex scene they do in the Red Room of Death. I think the music build-up to that was really cool, and then... You know, it was you know it was erotic, <laughs> um, uh, but I, I but then the sex you, scenes become so boring. It's just like, oh man, is this number three we're up to? And it, you know, it just I wasn't engaged. Well, I mean, you're a big fan of Showgirls, so I did kind of think that this might 
trigger you know something in that kind of yeah showgirls. but showgirls was directed by paul verhoeven and you know <laughs> uh, nothing gets the director i think i think she's very young and i think she probably is a very talented director but i just think again uh, they, they, this was a very strong business model from the get-go and i think she was just brought in there to say action and cut and the other thing is i don't know if you realize this and this is very common knowledge but the male lead was replaced oh, okay who they have initially Initially, it was uh, Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy. So the main guy from Sons of Anarchy. Okay, was he in um, uh, Pacific Rim? Yeah, that guy. Okay, yeah. Look, he dropped out. He wanted to commit time to Sons of Anarchy, but the fact that he dropped out meant that Jamie Dornan, this guy who's in the film now, got put in. And he sort of plays it in a way that I feel like he's an alien or a robot. <laughs> I, I thought he he was a very weak choice. Physically, he looked great, but I, I, I just like his eyes just weren't into the movie at all. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I I don't know if he, he just didn't take it serious. I felt, or maybe he was poorly directed. I think the girl was a great choice, um, Dakota you know, Johnson. She was very engaging, wasn't yeah. she? There was something about her eyes, something about the innocence. I mean, I kind of thought, yeah, she's she's been very well cast, but. The fact that they make it from a female point of view, female writer, female director, it just means that you can't have that kind of get out of jail free card where audiences say, oh, uh, this was directed by a man, therefore it's kind of, you know, uh, men beating up women and like sexist and stuff. If you keep it kind of female point of view, they're trying to keep it as a fantasy, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than in a tale of abuse. Yeah. But in the book, there's a character if you will called the inner goddess who sort of comes out of anastasia all the time she constantly thinks about her inner goddess who enjoys sex and enjoys everything that's happening and i mean you're featuring her first sexual experience she's a virgin at the beginning of this and the fact that her inner goddess kind of shines and stuff it's a terrible kind of writing <laughs> thing to that do. sounds horrible <laughs> but you you get the impression that she's enjoying the sex and everything you know in the book she um has sex with him back if you will uh she that they they oral sex is is a part of the book you know uh she learns that on him she you know kind of dominates him a little bit and sort of there's a sort of back and forth to it obviously there is his kind of fetish and everything you see in the film but the fact that kind of there's a more playful kind of thing going on in the book Mm -hmm. i suppose you don't really get her in a goddess you don't really get that she's enjoying herself it just seems like she wants something that he isn't yeah there's there's a hint there that dakota johnson after experiencing this relationship her sexuality is maybe tainted and maybe elevated by this experience like i i guess elevated is too strong of a word but it's definitely gone into a much deeper territory i think you know she's lost her virginity in a sense she's lost her innocence and i i don't think those ideas were pursued enough but i like that idea that this wolf is taking like red riding hood into the darkness sort of thing um i did like the ending though when she goes um into the elevator and he says anastasia and she says mr gray and we just cut when the doors close that was, that was really cool <laughs> but yeah. it wasn't pursued or, or anything like that i think a lot of great ideas 
were thrown up here because uh, watching it with a mainstream audience, my cinema wasn't packed, by the way. I was like one of the three or four guys in the cinema. I was the only guy. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't see any others. Um, but I, it's it's addressing a mainstream audience with sexuality because that's all pretty much all what this film is. Is Mr. Grey, he's got an elaborate appetite for sex and this innocent girl is venturing into this into this world and i think it's a great solid idea that could have explored many different things but again they're playing it by the numbers a a great film that came out in the 90s one of the probably top five films of the 90s and dave and i have actually done a podcast I, i talked a little bit about this on our top five sex scenes in movies i strongly advise you guys go check that out but uh one of the ones i said was crash by david cronenberg and that film explores violence sex and technology in one of the most most intelligent and thought-provoking ways ever in cinema and that's an example of a great great film discussing these themes utilizing the erotic genre uh, you know what i mean but 50 shades of gray only briefly suggests these things it ha- has them sort of projected but never pursued you know I-, I feel it's more this film is more of an exploitation film than anything yeah i mean it's kind of a novelty it's fan fiction turned into erotica it's Lots of things. I mean, the thing I hated about the film the most is that having read all three, and I'm very sad about that, by the way, <laughs> um, retrospectively, but um, having read all three, you sort of know what happens to some of the, the minor characters. Yeah, I was about to ask you that because it seems... And I, I was pressing Claire a lot because she had read all three. I'm like, oh, does the brother come more into play? What about that um, Hispanic boyfriend she's got? Does he does he come more into play? You know, there was oh, these... It's frustrating. Yeah, there was these arcs Everyone is introduced. Mm-hmm. Yep. I felt like every single person they introduced... There was in brackets after that saying, (laughs) they don't matter. Well, the coolest character, I think, is the backstory of Mr. Grey, how he talks about this older woman who they um, comedically nicknamed Mrs. Robinson in reference to the film The Graduate. And automatically my mind was firing off, okay, so he was 15, 16, and he was brought into this world by some unnamed lady that showed her this world and that you know sort of tainted his sexuality after that his sexuality was very um different after that experience i wanted to know more about that but that was only touched on did they pursue that in the first one or is it more about yeah we get to meet her in the second oh i see okay i can't remember which they're saving all this stuff the the sister mia for example played by rita aura he says um come meet my sister you know she's back and they have that very very small scene with his family Mm mm-hmm how like how much did that not matter at all? Her, <laughs> yeah, they introduced many characters there, and I was like, wait, wait, hold on, slow down. What? Or th- these these all these characters all seem pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, they're loaded. You know, they're, they're a big, rich, interesting family, but we get nothing from this film from that. Jose, the Hispanic boyfriend, I vividly remember a scene where, you know, Anastasia is good friends with Jose. And he does kind of drunkenly try and kiss her and Christian Grey interferes and says, you know, uh, don't do that. She said no, that sort of thing that does happen in the film. But there's a scene where we see his art show where his photos or paintings or whatever they are are being displayed and Christian has to go to that with Anna and kind of apologise and kind of meet Jose and you get kind of more of a story for him. Mm -hmm. The kind of thing about that though is in the movie it's just like jose called again jose called again and she just seems like a shitty friend (laughs) because you never see him again yeah then um the father 
uh, her father at graduation. Uh, he comes to graduation. Wouldn't miss it. Great to see you, honey. I'll be sitting with, you know, Kate's family because I'll totally find that seat on my own. Anyway, he gets charmed by Christian Grey in the book. And there's like a whole nother shade of Christian Grey, if you will, which kind of has to charm the father of Anastasia before he can kind of, you know, go off with her. And he very briefly kind of goes, yeah, 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 nice to meet you, bye. And doesn't even talk to the father. (laughs) (laughs) And just kind of just, you know, pushes him aside to go talk to Anastasia. And there's so many, like, every character you meet, the tailor, the driver... He's like ex-military or something. Did you get that impression? Yeah, he uh, he's such a memorable face for me because I'm such a fan of Pacific Rim. So when I saw him in this, I was like, oh, cool. You know, that guy, and you hardly get any <laughs> in-depth background into him at all. He might as well just been a generic character. But for all... And, like, he's relevant for the next few films. Oh, Mia, gets, Mia gets kidnapped, and he's he helps in the rescue and things like that. I mean... You know, he rescues and whips a gun out and lots of things. There's a vivid scene where he's waiting in the car and uh, Christian Grey and Anna are having sex in an elevator, mm-hmm. which was in the first book for sure, but wasn't in the um, in the film at all. And I sort of remember her signing the contract, which she never really does as well. I can't remember like them continuing all of this fetish stuff without a contract, yeah. you know? She does prolong it and put it off, but I remember her signing it, and I thought that was the first book, but she just never does in the film, and things just happen, you know? Visually, so many greys in the film, weren't there? Yeah. <laughs> right from the beginning. I thought some clouds, of the poor um, choice of cinematography was the scene where she was um, signing the contract, and they went for that, you know, the sun is so setting. Dark. Yeah, and that red look, and I understand they were trying to get that erotic sense in the dialogue sort of... Um, uh, went into that sort of um strategy but she was just going take are you going to take me here on this table and he's like yes and we sort of don't get that release of the build-up uh interesting idea just poorly executed I, I thought very poor choice in lighting and uh one of the biggest faults of this movie and i do love this composer is danny elfman but uh he wasn't even trying uh, the worst <laughs> scene in this movie and danny elfman by the way is a legend of uh, you know of um cinema he's uh, my, my favorite score of is is Batman only because I'm such a huge Batman fan but he's always with Tim Burton but the the worst scene in this movie which is just almost cringeworthy was when he buys the tape the rope from the hardware store where she works and he's going what else do I need oh, a rope I guess and he buys rope if you listen to the music in that scene it's just hammering you hammering you over the head to laugh oh this is a comedy scene by the way laugh at it and it's just so poorly composed I'm just like I, I couldn't believe what I was watching <laughs> The, um, the the guy Paul from the hardware store has a much bigger part in the book as well. Yeah, that was implied. I sort of got that. Yeah, yeah it's implied. It's just not executed, is it? And for all these tiny characters, the film is still so long. Yeah. yeah. Was- well, that's the thing. I was getting very bored um, in, in this movie. And they took that long flight sequence where uh, Christian Grey drives out and she's in some elaborate plane and they go, they yeah. play. I didn't care at that point. I was like, oh, gosh, <laughs> where are we? Why don't they just cut this scene from the movie? You know, and then she goes see her mother or something and the mum's at a uh, country club and Christian Grey has made his way all the way out there to see him. And I didn't know what was happening at that point. I'm like, I'm so bored. This movie. <laughs> movie's so boring <laughs> but I, I don't think this movie's that bad people you know 
are saying it's the death of cinema and everything like that. I- I'm going to say it here, guys. I would rather watch Fifty Shades of Grey than, gosh damn, Transformers 2. I would rather see that. <laughs> there I said it. <laughs> All right, I'm not in that same boat. Really? I, no, I'm, I feel like this was really boring. It, it is boring. Like- this film's so boring, but Transformers is stupid. There are interesting ideas that are in Shades of Grey that could have been pursued had they yes. had a David Cronenberg or a Paul Verhoeven to really take this by the horns. But again, they had a built-in... Um, uh, audience here they were going to make tons of money from it play it safe just make your money and get out they're going to make two and three with the same strategy and uh, you know they're going to make a lot of money from this uh, i don't have the numbers but i'm assuming this made it they're on their way to 400 mil really and how much was this yeah. movie made for like 60 or I something i don't have the budget yeah. probably probably 50 60 something like that. yeah they're probably filming number two as we speak well, they're trying to get a 2015, 2016 release. I don't know if they can knock it out that quickly. 2015? Well, I know. Yeah, end <laughs> of the year or... Yeah. It's un- unconfirmed. Um. But back to... There are ideas in this that they could have pursued. And uh, it, it's just unfortunate that they, that they just want to play this really safe. Um, you know, and I think this could have been a really great film for women because... Um, it is a, a, a lady who wrote the book. It's a lady who wrote the screenplay, and it's a lady directing. So I think this could have been, you know, uh, the Cronenberg the for them, like a really great uh, movie like Crash. But unfortunately, they they just want to cash in. I just feel like I found. Uh, I agree. They're going to cash in. It's interesting. I found her really stupid <laughs> in that in that negotiation scene. Like, she comes off as really stupid. And, I mean, she's studying literature, she's in college, and she should be smarter than this. But, like, there's that sequence where they're sitting down negotiating the terms of the contract, and she says, what are butt plugs, right? Like, the name implies (laughs) exactly what it is. It's not a confusing, you know, term. Also, whenever, like she's eating and stuff in the book she finds she's so devastated in the breakup between her and christian that you see at the end of this film she can't eat and can't feed herself and loses a bunch of weight and she's a real problem with food in the books too mind you but like her friend kate goes and eats her sandwich and she never makes another one (laughs) she doesn't stand up for herself speaking of who uses a flip phone as well like god (laughs) i thought okay maybe this is a period piece and then christian gray's like got an iphone 5s and i'm just like okay who uses a flip phone she's a uni student she drives a volkswagen beetle had to give her a little cute car of course she uses apple computers but i I use a flip phone you know i don't know if that was a visual choice by the director to 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 just have that flip phone because it does look more attractive than a smartphone in movies i must say that action of flipping the phone but uh uh, come on guys (laughs) it's an old-fashioned thing isn't it yeah she um when she first sees him look i found the the first sequence with the two of them to be the most interesting where they're sort of sizing each other up and she's reading these questions and he's kind of gripping the desk and that sort of stuff I thought that was his most imposing and then that was the only level he stayed at for the whole yeah film. The, the big fault of the movie is as you said before the casting of of jamie dornan uh he just just something about his eyes just wasn't into the role and it was so uh, like the script wasn't <laughs> there wasn't great dialogue for him to work with fair enough but dakota johnson did a really great job compared to jamie dornan 
he doesn't seem to blink as well. <laughs> like, and I don't know if that was like intentional. That I don't know if he does blink. He, d- screen, he just doesn't give off as a man possessed, a man you know with de- inner demons. Like, he just doesn't bring that across. I, I think they needed an actor who just had that possession in, in their eyes. Maybe I, I, I can't think of an example of one that they that I would suggest to cast. Uh, you know, you'd have to yeah. talk to a casting agent. But uh, uh, Jamie Dornan just wasn't a good choice in this. I mean, there are obviously people who are going to disagree with us because, I mean, people like him. Well, whatever, physically, he? he's a handsome guy. Like, he looks good. He's got the body and everything, but I'm sorry. The was he doing an accent? Because it seemed like he <laughs> I was. think he's British. Some- I'm pretty sure he's a British guy, and he's, yeah, some- he's having to put in the American accent. So th- he's had to jump over that hurdle already. There was that scene where she comes out after the very first meeting with him and she goes out into the rain and she's like oh my god it's so hot it's like <laughs> this rain feels so good like what was that like that was so cheesy garbage <laughs> and there were lots of laughs in my cinema oh really the yeah there, like, there were some laughs at this and i remember claire going oh this movie's so bad like many times because of the bad dialogue and i'm like yeah uh that that's not bothering me it's just that i'm so bored <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it never became sort of so bad it's good, like yeah, bad yeah. movies should. Uh, as well, there was no iconic sequence. Like, you think about um, Basic Instinct, you think about the legs yeah, that's crossing a good and point. uncrossing. Yeah, you know. Well, if there was, was an iconic sequence that might have, you know, nearly got there, which one would you have... Which one would you suggest? Oh, I would suggest that because of the kind of film it is, it's supposed to be erotica. There should be something super erotic. There should have been something in the Red Room of Pain. Maybe so, they should have showed full-on male nudity um, in there's this. There's a clause in his contract, which means he will not show male yeah. nudity. Well, it, you, once you break that line, because I know they're already already struggling to get under the R rating. I don't know if this got the R. I don't think this got the R rating in Australia. It definitely didn't get the NC-17 in America. So I think they're already on the borderline there but they you know yeah but i mean look shame for example with michael fassbender there's sequences where he's walking towards the camera and you see male nudity and it's like a shot from his torso to his knee you know it's like that is all you're seeing and that's a film about sex addiction and that's like it's picked the subject matter and it's said this is what we need to do to display this kind of thing yeah you know, I mean, it, I think it, the second or third it, film, he's going to have to show his penis. <laughs> if not his, it's going to be a stunt penis. Otherwise, this is just a TV movie fundamentally with a much bigger budget, you know, and a, a pretty good DOP as well. Because this film does look like a film, you know, it, it does look like a film. Again, the very poor colour choices in it, um, some decent composition, but uh, ultimately very safe, so very boring. But it is a made-for-TV erotic movie sort of thing. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, each film will make less money. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and the way the books are too, it gets worse. Yeah, like story-wise, it's more and more. I don't think we should pursue two and three on the podcast. We will not. <laughs> we will not. <laughs> Did you remember that scene in the um, hardware store where? Uh, he asks for some rope, and she's kind of just unwinding the rope, like pulling it off the thing. Yeah, that, that, that was the scene with the bad music, yeah. That was a scene which happened in this movie. A scene where she was just kind of pulling rope off a plastic cord. And then he says, that's impressive, were you a Girl Scout? And all she's doing is unwinding rope. She's not tying it in knots. Yeah. <laughs> like... There's nothing to it. <laughs> she's just removing a product from the shelf. You must be a pro. 
it was like a soap opera with all these stairs and stuff yeah yeah like um bold and beautiful or something yeah and he was saying things like you know you should steer clear of me but then he keeps stalking her and there's an implication that he's tracking her phone because which never really is said because he's able to find her at the bar she's at even though she never tells him you know he's got enough money sort of thing to be able to do it how does this rank in our you know how we did the top five best sex scenes i don't even think this comes close to the i I won't spoil that podcast guys go check that out but do you reckon this even gets in there no no No, none of them yeah it's just so (laughs) dull and and i I only um, like that one sex scene the first sex scene in the um the pain the room of pain or whatever it's called but i think more because of the the build-up was okay but the music in time with it was really cool and how she's blindfolded and stuff i vaguely remember a few shots from (laughs) that i mean ultimately i was looking at my watch yeah yeah i was too i was just like oh my gosh we still got more time i know (laughs) you think oh my god how does this have an hour to go but it does (laughs) he's incapable of leaving her alone he's a big stalker but do you think it's a weird like for me the film is weird when you find out she's a virgin it seems very kind of like she's prey (laughs) and and that She's having all this forced upon her. But that, yeah. She doesn't know any better. Well, that, that's the best idea of the movie is that she is Alice in Wonderland. She is being taken by this uh, wolf into the darkness, you know, and she is. And I do feel they did get that across that she's forever changed from this experience. You know, she's, she's not going to be the same person that you met at the very beginning of this film, the nervous school person. You know, she's tasted the high life. She's been um tasting really great wine really great food going to all these she's been on a helicopter you know she doesn't have to go through traffic being in these exotic cars and she's experienced (laughs) um this very savageness of sex and i i do would i would love for them more to pursue that like maybe she's starting a relationship with another person and you know he's she's constantly demanding that he do things and he's like oh i don't know what's going on this girl's crazy (laughs) you know (laughs) that sort of thing but i i don't think they're going to go in that direction Uh, i just think this is a dumb (laughs) spoilers lloyd i'll tell you how the whole thing ends you ready (laughs) yeah if you don't want to know how it ends don't listen to the next 30 seconds of this podcast maybe a minute Lloyd, they get married. Oh, God. Okay, I'm done. They have babies. I'm done. That's... Oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest complaint about this movie is that there wasn't enough sex scenes. A lot of people say, oh, there's only a five minute sex scene. Because there's lots in the book. There's lots more in the book. Oh, I see. Okay, because I found the sex scenes the most boring. Like, (laughs) really, really boring in in this. I I couldn't wait for them to be over just to get along with some sort of character development. (laughs) yeah no there wasn't much character development i mean he undressed her when she was drunk and like put her in bed yeah that would have been a weird scene to watch how dumb was the scene where she's got the toast in the hand and he just bites it off her you know i was just mm. like oh god you know if this turned into a serial killer movie and he just like his secret was he kills people and oh yeah american psycho film, or something yeah would have been such a better film <laughs> don't you think uh, well, I, I think it would have been better had they pursued the th- the um, the themes that I addressed at the very beginning uh, of, of this podcast. Uh, I think there was very good ideas here, but it's just so bland and disappointing. Very disappointing. I'm just going to run through the rest of my notes, Lloyd. There are a couple of things. Yeah, get them all out. 
I'm not going to touch you without your consent. Fuck the paperwork. <laughs> like a second later. Yeah. Can't keep his hands off her. Very anticlimactic when they're making out in the elevator. Fuck the paperwork. Making out, making out, and then... Those people ding, come in, yeah. Some people getting on the Did elevator. Did that get laughs? No. <laughs> got, we, no, I'll tell you what, what got laughs was the Xbox line. This is my playroom. Oh, like, what, with your Xbox and stuff? <laughs> that got a laugh. I that's that, the yeah, that's not bad, not bad. Legitimate laugh that I thought it deserved. <laughs> he says, I do this to women to please me because he's a dominant and everything, right? And it's the way he is. Like... The explanation as to why he is that way because of the whole Mrs. Robinson thing is something for the second book. They put in that sequence where he talks to her while she's asleep as a way of explaining it to the audience. Because she's asleep and he goes in and he says, you know, I was the child of, like, the woman who gave birth to me was a drug addict and I was whatever till I was four and she died when I was four and all that sort of stuff. That's like exposition for the audience. Yeah. Anastasia doesn't know that stuff in the first book. Uh, but they had to kind of put it in to kind of explain him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because he says, I was hungry once. And that's all the explanation you get, really. Like, I was going to ask you why you thought he was that way, having not read the books. But they sort of sort of imply it. Yeah, and exactly mentioning Mrs. Robinson that brought him into this world. Like, at that vulnerable age at 16... And then him being taken into that sort of world, yeah, yeah. I, I sort of understand where Mr. Gray's coming from. You um, you learn that he's tried this with 15 other women who've tried, you know, staying in this room and being his submissive. Um, you get to meet one or two of those in the coming books and films, I'm assuming. I found all the car scenes looked really fake, Lloyd. Yeah. Do you know green screen? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm like 98% sure they shot all that in green screen. Oh, look, uh, 100% looks garbage anyway. <laughs> um, there's a sequence where he drives her out into the woods and they start walking. Yeah, like, yeah, that's... Uh, why Why were they in the woods? Because <laughs> visually it looks better. Yeah, that that's it. That's the only reason I can imagine as well. Because like, she's, she's like, take me home or whatever. And he's like, yeah, no worries. And then he's like, let's go in the woods for a walk. <laughs> and you're like, at that point, you've got to be thinking, this guy's going to kill me. Yeah. Right? Please don't rape me, mister. <laughs> now, in the book, the most exhaustive thing is the contract. Like, it's almost like the whole contract is in the book. And you have to read the whole oh, damn thing. Gosh. It's exhausting. And they go over bits over and over again, anyway, in bits and pieces. And thank goodness that was a montage. When that came up on the screen, Tess and I just looked at each other and were like, ugh. Because we remember how horrible that was to read out loud. Look... <laughs> I've read a few things about this film as well. Uh, the safe words, remember Lloyd? Yeah. The yellow and red. Apparently, this film is not the way that uh, being a dominant and submissive should be, okay. which is a real surprise. <laughs> it uh, it says a lot about consent and, um, you know, limits. And uh, look, there's more you can read out there, but apparently this is a terrible example. Yeah, I don't think they would have had any, even a... A, guy, a, a person in there to make sure you know they've got a fight choreographer and usually that fight choreographer is an ex-MMA fighter or an ex-Marine or whatever I bet you they didn't even get a person in there who's an expert in that field to sort of advise and yeah yeah uh, I wrote why the fuck are they in the dark for that business meeting <laughs> um, yeah I did read yeah it made no sense <laughs> and it had catering and everything they never ate <laughs> I wrote, um, everyone is holding a glass of wine in this film. Just constantly. Mm-hmm. People holding wine. 
in the paper as well when she's identified as friend christian gray with friend that's extremely lazy reporting what what does um, what does christian gray do for a living what like i understand he's a, he got a huge empire but what is it he's the ceo of gray enterprises and that it covers everything he does everything but you don't really get to know anything of what he does all i can think of is that meme (laughs) oh business (laughs) (laughs) pretty much i was just going to say on that lazy reporting um tess was in a group photo on the cover of the canberra times once and uh jade was in the picture too and they spent half the day tracking us down just to get her name and jade's name because people didn't know jade's name she was just sort of a newborn it was at her graduation and um they just wanted to put her in the caption as like one of the people who was in the photo so in america maybe it's different and they're super lazy and they just go christian gray with friend <laughs> yeah. you know they're just like oh i, mean, I want to go home let's, let's get out of here tgif who's the girl with her who cares <laughs> i mean they look like friends yeah. could you just write friend <laughs> there's no other story arcs in the film the other characters get nothing to do and did she have to go see her mother in Georgia? Yeah. She said yes. Yeah, that, but that, that was weird. Was, At that point, but, I was just like, oh. And then, of course, he, he goes as well to Georgia for no reason. <laughs> and that the gliders, like, how can she stay mad at him when he keeps spending money on her? I was going to ask you, like, he's a billionaire, right? Mm-hmm. Is that why he can get away with all this? <laughs> well, pay them like, off. No, I just mean if average guy wants to do this weird stuff in bed or in a playroom or whatever is a chick just gonna go no is the only reason everyone's saying yes and agreeing because he's rich yeah probably well there you go it's a wonder bruce wayne wasn't more like this (laughs) i mean his parents died and stuff too so he's pretty messed up (laughs) yeah so little comedy the book ends very very much the same as the film with the whole breakup and the going in the elevator i suppose but she just cries and it's just like i don't know he comes off as a really bad guy in the film if you ask me Um, he doesn't in the book look he he comes off more forgivable and also remember i mentioned she's sort of like enjoying having sex with him more and she's learning sex from him and that doesn't come across at all in the film it just feels like everything's on his terms yeah you know and as well she's fallen in love with him it's pretty crazy it sort of feels like you know one of those things where it's first love and people you know kind of go too deep into it and think it is more than it should be ultimately i just kept checking my watch this is 4.1 on imdb at the moment with seventy-five thousand plus people weighing in and they're not wrong i mean there's a curiosity to it i think people will watch it based on just that but like as i said less and less money for each film absolutely i I found it a very boring film it's not one of the worst films i've ever seen um but uh it, it just was a very very dull and bland film yeah and just so long and when you you know you easily could have cut this to 90 minutes it was two hours plus you know there's half an hour there you could lose and i felt like every sub subplot every little character had nothing it was like meet paul he works in the hardware store don't worry he's not important <laughs> hey this is her friend jose but don't worry you won't see him again meet uh, meet everyone's parents don't worry about it maybe in the next film <laughs> mia's back guys mia remember her nope nope don't worry you never see her again 
just constantly like no threads were tied everything hangs loose i don't know <laughs> it was frustrating which is you know and and not iconic i don't know i i feel like i've said enough on this very but, forgetful um, movie yeah this is the thing um amazingly making money and what are you gonna do <laughs> i think the the revelation of the film dakota johnson who hadn't had many roles will no doubt become more famous from this which is her her goal you know the money and the fame coming from this film she's going to be the iconic one that comes out of this jamie dornan is i don't know it's forgettable in this he he's got to drastically up his game and i'm not talking physically like you say he's in shape i read something where he said christian gray's not a monster you know he's not like a beefy bulky kind of guy but um he's just in shape he's an in shape guy yeah. so he didn't try and overkill with this but i don't know forgettable as you said but uh, for now, you can hit us up on facebook.com slash podme if you can. You can find all the archived episodes, the best sex scenes, the, uh, what do you got, um, Showgirls episode. We even did Pacific Rim if you're interested in that. All kinds of film episodes up at podmeifyoucan.com and links to our YouTube page there. But um, for now, this has been Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm going to finish with the terrible line, Laters, baby. Hit it. listening please like us on facebook and follow us on twitter go to www.podmeifyoucan.com pod me if you can movie reviews 